You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. We're currently in a teaching series called Ask Anything. Each of us carry questions, doubts, and uncertainty that emerge from the current culture and from living in a broken world. In this series, we are looking at what God's Word says about some of the questions we face as followers of Jesus. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see you, and welcome to all of our churches joining us right now in Crystal Lake and Rolling Meadows and the North Shore. Uh, We love you guys. We're glad that we can gather together and hear from God's Word, and um, those of you who are watching right now, you might not know it, but it's about 97 degrees in here, and so... I brought a rag just in case, because I, I have a feeling something's going to happen, but uh, you're, you're going to need your Bible, as uh, Pastor Brian said, and uh, we're going to be in a couple of verses today, but you can go ahead and turn it over to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start there, uh, starting in verse 16, and uh, we've been going through uh, a series called Ask Anything, and uh, this is where a couple of weeks ago, you might remember, we asked you to ask us some questions maybe that you have about culture or Uh, issues in our world today, or about the Bible, or about doctrine, or really anything, and you did, and uh, we've gotten some really great questions, and what we've done as a a team is we've kind of put all of those questions together and uh, put together the most frequently asked questions, and uh, we're going to be preaching through that this summer, and we've been doing that for the past couple of weeks, we're going to do that as we continue going forward uh, for a couple of more weeks, and wouldn't you know, the topic that we're going to be talking about today that you asked us to talk about is politics. <laughs> totally undivisive, uh, non-controversial topic, right? No, right? It's the, one of the most hotly talked about topics in our day, in our world, in our culture. It's all over the news. It's all over media. It is everywhere. We uh, seemingly can't escape this conversation, and, um, and so... We're gonna talk about that. We received a lot of great questions on this topic, very broad questions about politics. Like how should the Christian vote? And uh, how do we engage in politics? How involved should the Christian actually be in politics? And how do we live? How do we live as a Christian in a politically charged world? How do you and I, as a Bible-believing Christian, how do we live in a politically charged world? The title of our time today is Politically Charged, because of course it is. And uh, just as a reminder, these sermons are primers, which means that they are a starting point to these conversations, to these topics. Uh, It it is to to continue these conversations in your life and, and, and for you to dive deeper into the scriptures of what God's word has to say fully on a topic. And so these are very big topics, and so this isn't going to be exhaustive by any means, but hopefully a helpful primer And for a sermon on politics, uh, it's going to be very apolitical. I want to say this up front and and really emphasize this. I'm not going to try and convince you to vote for one politician or another. I'm not going to try to convince you towards one party or the other. I'm not going to try to convince you not to vote. I think that you should vote. I think we have a civic responsibility to vote. And I believe that we should be voting our conscience as the Spirit leads us according to God's word believe that we should be bringing Christian values to the public square persuasively. I believe that. So we're going to go straight at it. In this current political climate, how are you doing? And I don't mean like, are you doing okay? Are you making it through? That's not what I mean. I mean, how are you representing Jesus Christ? How are you doing? 
I don't know about you, but I've been pretty heartbroken over the past couple of years watching the political discourse of our country, seeing how nasty people are to each other and how people speak to each other and treat each other. Sometimes this political discourse being led by Christians. We are incredibly divided, not only as a church, but as a country, and it's heartbreaking. Christians are taking sides over politics because if you don't think like me on a political issue, then you're evil. We have taken up the mantle of the kingdom of Trump or the kingdom of Biden, and we have forgotten which kingdom we actually belong to. We don't belong to either of those kingdoms, church. We belong to the kingdom of God. And maybe we forget that because we only see with our eyes every single day, news show after news show, media after media, scroll post after post, two opposing sides battling each other. And I wanna say this, this sermon, it's not for some far off Christian who might be wrestling with this. Okay, I don't know if you know this, but I have Facebook, okay? I'm hip, all right, I'm hip. I'm with it. And uh, one of the great joys of being on Facebook is I get to be friends with a lot of you on Facebook. And I see your statuses. And I see your comments. It's funny how that works. And so this isn't just for some far off person, this is for us, church. Because I think a lot of us struggle with this. How do we as Christians engage in politics according to the scripture? What does that look like? Here's the first thing that we're gonna see, is that our lens needs to change. Our lens needs to change. And what I mean by lens is I mean how we view the world. Every single person in here, every single person in the world has a lens in which they view through. They view the world through a particular lens. they, They use a certain source of truth to view the rest of the world through. And depending on the lens that you have, it can bring great clarity or it can bring great blurriness. It's a lot like glasses. Um, These are not my glasses and not my prescription. And when I put these puppies on, oh boy, (laughs) they are thick and I can see nothing. In fact, I'm gonna stay right here in this spot and not move because I do not want to trip. I can kind of like see my hands. I can make these out right in front of me. But when I look out, <laughs> I see blur. In fact, can, can, uh, guys, can you sh- maybe show them a little bit of like what I'm seeing? Yeah, 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 thank you. Thank you. And uh, it's hard to see. It's hard to view things correctly. It's, it's impossible to view the whole picture of what's going on right now because of how blurry it is, because of the lens that I'm using, because of the way, the thing that I'm viewing my world through, instead of bringing great clarity, it's bringing blurriness. And this lens not only affects, I'm gonna take those off, wow. Instant headache, amazing. The lens not only affects how I view things, but it affects way more than that. It affects my actions. It affects where I place my hope. It affects how I think. It affects what I believe. It affects those who are around me. The lens in which we view things is massively important. And I think the problem that we face as Christians in this culture, in this politically charged culture, is that we are viewing things through the lens of politics. 
We view everything in our world through the lens of our political party or our political talking points, politics. And so everywhere we look, we see political enemies, political opposition. We're viewing things through this lens and it affects our view, it affects our belief, it affects our actions, and it affects our hope. And so we need our lens to change from a political lens to a biblical lens. In fact, I want to share something with you. It's called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And uh, this was developed by uh, a guy named John Wesley. And the, Methodist, the Methodist Church uses this as a, as a way to interpret Scripture. I don't think that it's all too useful of a tool to do that with. But what I do think it's useful for is it's a great illustration of the lenses that we use to find truth. Right? We have experience. That's how I find my truth. We have tradition. That's how I find my truth. Or reason or Scripture. If you were to take a guess right here as you look at this, what do you think in our modern culture, what is the lens that people use to find truth? What do you think? Experience, yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It's experience. What I experience in my life is what is true. What I see happening to others, that's what must be true. And, and that can be relative because our experiences aren't all the same. So my truth and my experience could be different than your truth and your experience, right? We've seen this all over the place. We also have people who uh, look at uh, through the lens of tradition. Well, this is what we've always done. We see this uh, a lot in the, in the Catholic uh, church, Catholicism, the holy tradition, right? This is what the church and the church fathers have done, and so this is what we're going to continue to do. But it's not just church. It's how we were raised, right? It's, it's how we grew up and the things that we were taught as we were being grown up. Well, I've always learned that it was like this. That's my tradition. That's my truth, right? And then we also have reason or logic, right? This is science and philosophy, and I view all of my truth through logic and reason, philosophy, science, mathematics, right? And then, of course, we have scripture. We view through God's written word to us all other things. And for the Christian, let me just tell you, this is our lens right here on the quadrilateral. Scripture is our lens, it is our source of truth. It is the thing that we need to be looking through at all other areas of truth in our life. We use scripture to inform our experience, our reason, our tradition, our politics. And so we need to change our lens and stop looking at the, the world through a political lens or a certain political party. We need to look at the world through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of Scripture. This is our lens. It's our source of truth. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I didn't mean to cross out correction. I believe that that's still true. That was a little sloppy on my part. Scripture is breathed out by God. It's the word of God. This is our source of truth from our God. And it is profitable for us that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. First Peter 1, uh, 2 through 4 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Our lens is Scripture. We look at all other things in our life through this lens of scripture. 
In fact, I wanna take us through uh, Philippians 3. It says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. They didn't have the written scriptures yet, but they had the apostolic authority and oral tradition of Christ. And so Paul is encouraging them to imitate him and those who are like him. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds or eyes or lenses set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So there's a couple of things in this verse that I wanna point out to us. First is that our minds are not set on earthly things. Our lens is not through earthly things. That is actually the lens that people who are enemies of the cross of Christ use. That's their lens. And so we are not looking at, at life through the lens of what can bring me the most comfort, what can bring me the most wealth, what can bring me the most happiness. My God is not my belly. But our lens is on heavenly things. What will bring God the most glory? What will bring people to the knowledge and worship of Jesus Christ? The second thing that we see in Philippians 3 is our allegiance, our citizenship. Uh, for some people, it's, not, it's no longer a God and country. It's country and a, and a dash of God. Let me tell you, this is great error. Because sure, we are citizens of the United States. And it is okay to love your country. Amen? It's okay. It's good to love your country. But church, don't be mistaken. We are sojourners and aliens here. Truly, we are citizens of God's kingdom. Our ultimate allegiance is to God and to God alone. Regardless of what king we have here on earth, we are servants to the king of kings. That's where our allegiance lies. Third is our hope. Our hope is not in a political party or a candidate or in a, the passing of a policy. Our hope is not in our nation. Our hope is in the returning of Christ. That is where our hope lies whom all things are subject to and who transforms our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And so we need to look at life and politics through the lens of scripture and faith. And if we don't, we, we tend to fall into massive error. When we start uh, to, to, to view the scripture through a political lens, for example, uh, we, we can fall into massive error. In fact, we see this happening all over the place in our world today is we see people viewing scripture through a political lens, through a specific party's lens, through an ideological lens, and it happens on all sides, church. We see political commentators giving massive theological statements. I'm gonna give you two examples, uh, one on the left and one on the right. We'll start with the left. Uh, this is a recent one I've seen pop up lately. Uh, is that they're using Genesis 1, 27, 
It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And they use that word there, them, uh, as a way to try and explain non-binary people being a part of God's original design. Uh, they also uh, make a case for abortion in the Bible through uh, Numbers 5 and the strange water. They use a political lens to examine the scriptures. And in so doing, it wildly distorts their ability to correctly interpret scripture, right? What, what about on the right? Well, another recent one I've heard far too often is, is this phrase, you can't be a Christian and a Democrat. You heard that one? Be like, yeah, I've heard it, I believe it. So we're adding conditions to salvation now? Saved by grace through faith and be a Republican? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and also agree with my political issues? That sounds dangerously close to heresy, church. So we have interpretive issues on the left. We have borderline heresy on the right. Massive error from both because we are viewing the scriptures through a political lens and we need to switch that. We need to view politics, world systems, everything in life through the lens of scripture and what God's word says, not the other way around. So that's the first thing, our, our, our lens needs to change. Second is our actions need to be measured. Our actions need to be measured. Measured not by length, of course, but by careful consideration. How, how do we act as Christians as we walk into the public square and we talk about and engage in politics? How are we supposed to act towards believers, towards unbelievers? What is our Christian ethic? What is the way that we are supposed to act according to the scriptures? Well, if you turn in your Bible to Romans 12, uh, 9 through 21, I know it says 19, but it's 9 through 21, uh, we're going to see probably a, a, one of the most extensive passages on the Christian ethic. It says, let love be genuine abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now we're gonna get into a pretty big list here, quite a long list. And uh, this is kind of a little bit of a summary at the beginning, and then it's gonna go into uh, the big list. But it says, let love be genuine. It's no mistake here, church, that it starts with what? Love, it starts with love, and it says, let it be genuine. Let this love be sincere. It's not just, hey, I love you, man. It is genuine love, and we find probably the most um, complete definition of genuine love in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is genuine love. How have you been doing in that area as you engage in political discourse? Patience and kindness, not arrogant, not rude, enduring. The whole of a believer's conduct should be covered in love. It should be the banner over our lives, bathed in love. 
let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. We can both simultaneously love people and hate evil. And we should hate evil. We should hate the wickedness that we see in our world today. And we should pray that the justice of God comes. Absolutely, we should hate evil. And we should hold fast to what is good. But what is good? Well, it tells us right here. What are we holding fast to? Love one another with brotherly affection. Again, the start of a new list. What does it start with? It starts with love. Love one another with brotherly affection, that familial love, like you would love your brother or your sister, your sibling, right? Now, in that sibling relationship, do you guys disagree? Well, if you're anything like me and my sister, we disagreed, uh, you know, 17 times a day. But guess what? At the end of the day, we loved each other and we would do anything for each other. Love one another with brotherly affection. Oh, I love this one. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is so counterculture, isn't it? In our culture, it's outdo one another in dissing, outdo one another in disrespecting. If you come hard at me, I'm coming harder back at you. If you go low, I'm going lower. You say something to me, I'm saying something twice as mean back to you. I'm gonna win this battle. The Christian ethic is the opposite. It's to outdo one another in showing honor. And, and, and what is honor? This is placing value on someone with our words and our actions. So in political disagreement, how do we honor people? How do we outdo each other in, in honor? Well, one way is we, we seek to understand each other. We give value to them as the imago Dei, image of God, created in God's image, people. We're talking to real people. Listen, I, I, I disagree with you, but I can still honor you. I disagree with you, but I'm not gonna demonize you and, and everyone who stands against me. I, I don't agree with you, but I value you. I'm gonna share truth I'm gonna go over the top in loving you and honoring you. Outdo one another in love. This is the Christian ethic and it is so missing in our world today. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in, in, in spirit. This is to be passionate, excited, like uh, when the Cubs win, right? And we wanna tell everyone about it the next day. Dude, did you see the game? Also, did you know that you can get free Chick-fil-A when the Cubs win? Did anyone know that? Like, that's exciting, isn't it? Be zealful, be fervent in spirit, right? Be excited, be passionate. I wanna tell you about what is going on in my life, what God is doing. I wanna tell you about this Jesus that I know. Don't be slothful, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, long-suffering in times of trouble. Knowing that God has a plan for it. Be constant in prayer. Going to the Lord daily, asking him for wisdom to deal with all of the issues that you're going to face in this world. All of the tricky conversations that you're going to have to have with people. Constant in prayer. 
contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If we see someone in our family who has a need, we meet it. We serve our brothers and sisters. We show hospitality. We invite them into our life. We care for them. But surely only for the people that we like, right? <laughs> only the people that we agree with, right? We should, we, yeah, like that all sounds great, but like only to the people that I like and agree with and love and who agree with me and... No, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless and do not curse them. So many things could be said here, right? Typically at best, we, um, we don't typically bless people who are mean to us or who are unkind Typically, we're just maybe a little bit nicer in the way that we curse them back. But we bless them. We bless and we do not curse them, even if they persecute us. Even if someone insults you, compliment them. If someone is unkind to you, be kind to them, bless them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Again, something sorely lacking in our world today is feeling what people feel, sitting with them, being present emotionally for them. Typically, we're more interested in pushing agenda than with being those who, with those who are hurting. And we never celebrate the other side. Oh, no, no, no. We only celebrate our side, right? Christian ethic is to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, to live in harmony with one another. Our world so desperately needs that. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is humility. Counting others is more significant than yourselves, acting humbly towards each other. Humility in word and deed. I don't count myself significant, certainly not more significant than other people. It's humbling ourselves. We don't repay evil for evil, but we give thought to do what is honorable in, in the sight of all. When someone does evil to me, I'm not giving evil back. I am giving thought to do what is honorable, what is to honor them in the sight of all because people are watching. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, listen, you can't control other people, okay? We can't. But you can control yourself. And if at all possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with them. And so how can we do this? How can we, when evil happens to us, how can we be honorable to those people? How, when, when evil happens, when people persecute us, how can we bless them? How, how, how can all of this Christian ethic work? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. We do not avenge ourselves, but we leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You don't have to take vengeance for evil done to you or evil done in the world. Why? Because God is going to deal with it. And let me tell you, trust me, he is better at it than you are. Amen? 
To the contrary, instead of taking vengeance, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see the evil in our world? You see the evil actions in our world? How do we overcome it, church? With good. We overcome it with good. We meet their needs, our enemies. How do we bless people? How do we do what's honorable in the sight of all? We, we meet practical needs for the people who persecute us and who are our enemies and who do evil to us. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give them something to drink. If they have a need, meet that need. Show them love and kindness and care. We treat them with goodness instead of evil. And when we do that, scripture says that we will heap burning coals on their head. This isn't like a sign for like some sort of weird torture. Uh, This is a symbol in the Bible of repentance. That in our good actions towards them, in our kindness towards them, in our blessing of them, they will feel ashamed of their evil and hopefully it will bring them to repentance. The strongest response that you and I have to persecution and hatred and evil is to love your enemies. Now this is a very large list of of commands and Christian ethic and I think most of us know those things. We've read maybe that before and we've heard those things before and we're like, yeah, I know all of that. And uh, sometimes we can um, talk the talk, but not walk the walk. I don't, I don't know if you guys know this. I used to wrestle. I know it doesn't look like it now. It's fine. Um, back in the day, I used to wrestle. And uh, in wrestling, it, it was a very physical sport, right? You would battle against your opponent. But something that would happen that not a lot of people know, I'm going to give you the inside of, of wrestling right now, is that it, it was, it was a, very much a, a mental battle as well. And so what some... Uh, what some people would do is they would try and come up and talk to you before the match and like trying to intimidate you to, to get into your head a little bit. And uh, I remember one time I was at a tournament and uh, the kid that I was going to be wrestling next came and he sat next to me and we started talking like, hey, how long have you been wrestling for? And I'm like, oh, you know, like 10 years or whatever. And he's like, oh yeah, I've been wrestling for 11, you know? And, uh, and he's like, yeah, dude, I totally just like, I just won these past like three tournaments and I pinned my last guy in like five seconds and, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just crushing it. I'd probably go win state this year. And, and like, he was just talking the biggest game. And I, and I was actually like, oh my goodness, this guy's gonna be good. Like, he's gonna, he might crush me. What's going on here? Uh, and uh, <laughs> so we get out on the mat. We're about to wrestle and, uh, and we wrestle. Uh, he did not win. Uh, the match lasted probably a minute, and uh, he was something that we in the wrestling community, we call them a fish, because instead of uh, them looking like they're wrestling on the mat, they're like a flopping fish instead, right? And uh, he'd probably not been wrestling for more than a year, maybe less than a year, and he wasn't very good at it, but he was talking this big game to trying to get into my head, and his actions on the mat did not line up with what he was saying. I think sometimes we as Christians fall into the same trap. We know all the right words to say. We talk a big game, but when the rubber meets the road, it doesn't line up with how we act. We don't live out the Christian ethic. 
So church, I think something really practical is as you read through this list in your daily interactions, as you go into the public square, especially in politics, could these things be said of you? Do you think about how you're going to act or do you just act? Do you try and make peace or do you stir the pot? Do you care about what others think when you speak? Do you care about being winsome for Jesus Christ? Do you care about your witness or do you mimic the world in the response and action? Maybe just a little nicer. Or do you look radically different? Because the Christian ethic is radically different than the world. And the world is watching and they see you talking a big game and people are taking note of that. And they see it when we fail at this. And when we fail at this, we become hypocrites to the very message that we are trying to share. We're done a couple of ways that we fail. We fail when my hope is found more in the Oval Office than who sits on the throne. I think uh, problems of this world are going to be solved by a president or a candidate instead of God. I trust in my president or my candidate more than I trust in God. I think that the greatest need that we have is material or societal and instead of understanding that the greatest problem that we have is sin and the solution is only found in Christ. We fail when my motive is I wanna win, not I want to love. I would rather win the argument than to love the person across the aisle. I would rather boast for four more years than try and treat someone right in the moment with the Christian ethic. We fail when I stay completely silent and don't bring God's perspective to the conversation. I'm afraid to tell people what God's word has to say on this matter because they're gonna judge me. Am I gonna get canceled if I say this? Maybe you think, listen, it's not my problem. <laughs> There's lots of Christians out there. Someone will share this with them, surely, right? We fail when we don't bring God's perspective, God's word, God's truth to the public square. We fail when I'm more passionate about winning people to a candidate than to Jesus. Some of us are, as Christians are, are better promoters of a candidate than our Lord Jesus. Some Christians are better apologists for their favorite political candidate than they are for Jesus. Some people campaign more for their candidate than they do for Jesus. Some people post more about a political party or a political candidate than they do Jesus. We fail when we do this. We fail when I set my gaze more focused on election day than the return of Christ. Man, what's gonna happen in 2024? That's when the fate of the United States is gonna be decided. <laughs> it's gonna be decided. If we pick the wrong person, it's going all downhill. Oh, goodness. And we're more worried about election day than we are about the day. The day of the Lord isn't even on our radar and that is scary. We fail when we don't live out the Christian ethic. We say all the great words, 
that we see in scripture today. But if we don't live them out, it's useless. So our actions need to be measured by what God's word has to say. It is our lens, not only for the way that I view things, but for my actions, my ethic, how I live, how I interact with believers and non-believers, regardless of whether they agree or disagree with me. Here's the third thing, last thing. Our engagement needs to be informed. Our engagement needs to be informed. Let's get practical, a little practical. How do we engage in politics then as Christians? We've got the ethic, we've got the lens. How do we, how do we now go out and engage? Well, I think one of the things that we need to know is the purpose of politics. What is the purpose of politics? Well, people engage in politics because they want to advance what they believe is good for the community. That's why people engage, right? The, the purpose of politics is to advance the common good. And people have wildly different views on what is good, right? Sometimes we call good evil and evil good in our world today. But this is, the, this is the purpose of politics, is to advance the common good. And it might be why the Christian gets so passionate about politics. Because Jesus taught and acted toward the good of others all throughout the New Testament, didn't he? Mark 12, 30 through 31, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. These are the great commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 25, 40, this is the end of a parable. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. What did they do? What did they do? Well, the parable tells us that they, uh, when they were hungry, they fed them. When they were thirsty, they gave them drink. When they had no clothes, they gave them clothing. They cared for the sick they showed hospitality to the stranger and they visited those in, in prison. Do you see what's happening here? The common good of those around us. In fact, if you do any um, research on the early church and early Christianity, one of, uh, there's many reasons why the early church and Christianity exploded. Uh, first off, is they were preaching the gospel, right? Uh, and this radical gospel was changing and transforming hearts, of course, right? But they matched the preaching of the gospel with how they lived. They lived radical lives. And they did it, they took the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself very seriously. They cared about the poor, those in poverty. They helped them, they served them, they gave them what they needed, what they lacked, they cared for them. They uplifted women. Women in the ancient day were considered nothing, they were property. And here, the Christians were giving and showing them that they are equal in Christ, bringing them value, honoring them. It's no wonder hundreds, thousands of women flocked to Christianity in the early days. They cared deeply about the unborn and infanticide. Uh, in the ancient day, it was legal uh, for parents to uh, leave their children out. It was called exposure. 
um, to the elements to die. If they didn't want the child, if maybe there was a financial burden or uh, sometimes if it was a girl, um, they would do this. They would have a spot where they would go and they would leave their children to the elements to, to die. And what Christians would do is they would find where these spots were and they would wait for the children to be left and they would take the children and they would care for them and raise them. Radical. Christians stayed with the sick. When disease and plague rampaged through cities, what they would do is they would evacuate the city, the people. They would evacuate the people out. Get out of the city. There's plague and disease. If you don't, you're going to die. Guess who stayed? The Christians. They cared for the sick even unto their own deaths. They didn't just talk about the politics of the day. They didn't just stick to their political talking points. They lived the Christian ethic out with their life. So that is a a massive encouragement and challenge to us to get more involved. Not just in politics, right? Not just in the political public square of talking to each other, but living out the Christian ethic, getting involved. There are many ministries that are doing such wonderful work, caring for the common good, loving their neighbor as themselves. We can partner with them and serve with them and help them. We should be doing this in our everyday life. We should get more involved, not just politically. Also, how we engage in politics is we don't divide over it, church. This is not an issue of division. Bible over and over and over and over again speaks of Christian unity. We are united in Christ. We're united. We can disagree. We can disagree a lot. But I love you. And we are united under the banner of Christ. And I'm going to speak truth to you. And I'm going to try and correct and reproof and teach and train you in righteousness. But I love you. We're unified in Christ. If you've ever seen the circles of doctrine, these are... um, concentric circles starting in the middle it's the primary doctrines then the secondary doctrines then the tertiary doctrines and then things outside of that Uh, we divide over primary doctrines right we divide over things like Jesus is the son of God he is the son of God if you don't believe that then well we're going to have a little bit of division (laughs) okay right we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man Believe in the Trinity, right? These are the, 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 the primary doctrines of our faith. Then you have secondary doctrines outside of that. Guess what's not in the circle of doctrine? Anywhere. Politics. We don't divide over this church. We disagree, but we love each other. And we are united in Christ. We pray for one another. And we live the Christian ethic towards each other. This is not a point of division. The way that we get involved in uh, and engaged in politics is we pray. First Timothy uh, 2, 1 through 2 says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, and dignified in every way. We need to be praying for our leaders. When's the last time you prayed for Biden? 
When's the last time you prayed for Pritzker? When's the last time you prayed for Trump? <laughs> um, one of the interesting things about this is First Timothy was written in the mid-60s AD, 64-65. You guys know who the emperor was during this time? It's Nero. If you, if you think that Trump or Biden are bad... <laughs> Nero mercilessly crucified Christians. He would actually feed them also to lions in the gladiatorial arenas. He would actually have garden parties at his estate. And to light these garden parties, he would use Christian human torches. And Paul instructs Timothy to do this, to pray. During all of that, even though that was happening, pray for them. And sometimes our prayer needs to be a prayer of lament, church. To lament over the evil that we see happening in our world, absolutely. But we need to pray for our leaders. Do you say more public words of criticism towards our leaders or more words of private prayer? We need to pray. And we need to, here's the thing, we need to trust that God has it, church. We need to trust that God is in control. Romans 13, one and two says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. God is sovereign over all. All of our leaders, he is the one who has given them the authority that they have. He is in control. And he has a plan for it. We see the faithfulness of God throughout scripture as it relates to this. He uses all throughout the Old Testament. There are some good kings. There's a lot of bad kings. A lot of bad kings. And he uses good kings and bad kings for his purposes. And regardless of the good or the bad king... He does a powerful work in and amongst his people. Amen? We can trust him. He has a plan. And he's gonna do a great work in and among us. I believe that. And so I think instead of thinking of ourselves purely as citizens of a nation, of the United States, I think biblically, we should view ourselves as ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ, right? Our allegiance is to our king. And we are a people sent by our king as an official representative to a foreign land. And we act as his representative and promoter to influence people for his kingdom. That's what we do. I influence people for my king. I don't care where I am or what landscape I find myself in. I care that through my actions and speech, people will know my king. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and its instruction on how we should live and how we should view our world. And Lord, we need your help. That was a long list of things in the Christian ethic and we can do none of those apart from you. Spirit, would you help us in our interactions even though they may be frustrating and even though we may be hating the evil that we see. 
Lord, help us to have the Christian ethic as we talk to believers and unbelievers, as we disagree with people. Lord, as we're persecuted for our faith or whatever it may be, Lord, that we would bless and not curse, that we would show goodness to those who do us evil. When we look radically different than the world, would we look like ambassadors of your kingdom? Lord, help us. Help our nation. Lord, I pray that you heal the people of our nation. Lord, I pray that you give wisdom to our leaders. Lord, we pray that you bless them. Help us to influence those around us for you. Help us through our actions and speech to let people know about our King. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.